I now can sing since I've been redeemed. I'm on the everlasting, everlasting rock. I faith in Christ, my Redeemer King. I'm on the everlasting, everlasting rock. This is the voice of hope. Then roll, roll, billows roll. I'm on the everlasting rock of ages. Roll, roll, billows roll. I'm on the everlasting rock. Follow, 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 follow the path of Jesus. Walk where his footsteps lead. Keep in his beaming presence every counsel heed. Watch while the hours are flying, ready some good to do. Quick while his voice is calling, yield obedience true. Cling to the hand of Jesus all through the day and night. Dark though the way and dreary, he will guide you right. Live for the good of others, helpless, oppressed, and wrong. Lift them from depths of sorrow, in his strength be strong. Follow, 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 follow the path of Jesus. Thank you so much for joining me here on The Voice of Hope today. This program is produced by Heralds of Hope. We're an international media ministry sharing the gospel around the world in English and 25 other languages. And I'm J. Mark Horst, your friend and Bible teacher. If you're tuning in for the first time, we recently began a new series of study in the Gospel of Mark. You've only missed several episodes, and you can catch up with them whenever you want by visiting our website, heraldsofhope.org. That's heraldsofhope.org. Now, without further delay, let's get to today's teaching from Mark's Gospel. I'm a lover of history, so I've read a lot of books, and I've watched numerous films, especially those that relate to World War II. And I remember one film where a group of soldiers needed to cross a minefield in order to advance. Before they began to cross, their leader reminded them to walk very, very carefully, placing their feet directly in his footsteps so they would avoid the mines and certain death. But unfortunately, one of the men lost his balance and stumbled. Not only did that soldier lose his life, but the explosion also gave away their position to their enemies and it put the lives of the whole squad in jeopardy. One man's failure affected the whole group. 
Learning how to follow well is a skill we all need to develop, and especially those who are leaders. But because we're born with a sin nature, our greatest motivation, as you know, is to follow self. It's to pursue what we want. And if that motivation is left unchecked, it will ultimately destroy us. As we continue our study in Mark's Gospel, we come to the account of Jesus calling the first several of his disciples. In keeping with his style, Mark is very short. He's very concise. But he provides a very clear picture for us of what following Jesus involves. And so my title is short and concise too. It is simply following Jesus. The text for our study today is Mark chapter 1 and verses 16 to 20. Listen carefully and see if you can pick out the steps that will put us on the path to following Jesus. That's Mark chapter 1, beginning with verse 16. As Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew his brother casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, who also were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. In this text, Jesus walks us through a series of steps to put us on the path to following him. These are the steps, the call, the commission, and the commitment. We'll examine each of these carefully. So the first step on the path to following Jesus is the call. In our study last time, we learned about Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. And after he had overcome all of Satan's temptations in the wilderness of Judea, he made his way back to Galilee. As our text opens, Jesus is walking beside the Sea of Galilee. Now we know enough about Jesus to realize that this just wasn't a random walk. It wasn't an early morning stroll. He had a purpose in mind. Jesus said in John 5.30, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. So his walk there by the lake, by the sea, had a purpose. He was there by divine appointment. As he's walking by the Sea of Galilee, he observes Simon and Andrew, two brothers. They were casting their net into the sea because they were fishermen. That's all the information Mark gives us about them, as he introduces them to us. So as they're going about their work, Jesus says to them, Come, follow me. Now, come can be a word of invitation or a word of command. In John's Gospel, chapter 1, you might recall, he records that two men heard John the Baptist proclaim Jesus as the Lamb of God, and so they started following Jesus. Jesus realized they were following, and he turned around, and he asked them what they wanted. And they said, Teacher, where are you staying? And Jesus' response was, come and see. He was inviting them into his life, into his experience. He was saying, follow me and see where I'm going. And if you read that account, it tells us they accepted his offer. Now you and I are not Jewish. We're not fishermen. We don't live in Galilee. 
and we live in a very different era of time than these men did. But you know, this first step along the path to following Jesus is the same for us today as it was for those first disciples long ago. It is the call or the invitation, come, follow me. Just a few verses later, this same invitation is extended to James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Notice that the call to discipleship, the invitation to follow, in this text, is initiated by Jesus. No one becomes a disciple of Jesus on his or her own ambition. Jesus said in John 6:44, No one can come to me except or unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. The invitation to come, follow me, originates with God and Jesus. All you and I can do is respond with either a yes or a no. And so in this way, we're no different than these four men that Jesus was calling. And like these men, we too have our daily work, our responsibility to make a living. Like them, we've been invited to follow Jesus. I would say this, if you haven't heard Jesus' invitation, it is still valid today. And like these men, we must decide how we will respond to the call of discipleship. Like them, we don't know where this call may lead us. But we must, like them, consider the cost. And ultimately, we too can become fishers of men. Have you responded to Jesus' call to discipleship? You know, a disciple is a follower. In the setting of our text, these men revered Jesus as a rabbi, a teacher. In that day, the students became followers, and the teacher didn't just impart facts, he taught by example. You may recall the Apostle Paul writing these words, Follow me as I follow Christ. We could just as accurately translate that as, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. So Jesus' invitation, his call for these men to follow him, was a call to pattern their lives after his. And that call is still the same after all these years. So I ask you, have you heard his call? And if so, what is your response? The next step then on the path to following Jesus is the commission. A commission is a charge or a granting of authority. So Jesus said to them, If you follow me, I will make you become fishers of men. Now we know they were already fishers of fish. They were seasoned fishermen who knew their business. And we know that because later on, when Jesus gave them some instructions about how to fish, they did it only because it was Jesus telling them what to do. You've probably noticed that veterans don't like taking advice from rookies. Do you ever wonder what may have gone through the minds of these men when Jesus spoke these words to them, fishers of men? They obviously knew a lot about catching fish. First, you need to know the habits of the fish, how they respond to changing water conditions, and where they're likely to be at any given time, in the cycle of day and night, but also in the calendar year. In the Sea of Galilee, the fishing, I understand, was mostly done at night. Then you need the right equipment, the boat, and nets, and so on. But even with all that, as any fisherman can tell you, you can have all those things and still catch nothing. One of our challenges in reading the scriptures is that we have an inherent cultural bias. That is, we interpret scripture through the lens of our own experiences. 
So when you and I talk about fishing here in the Western world, we automatically think about a rod and a reel, a hook and some kind of bait. But these men, according to our text, were casting a net. And that's a completely different way of fishing. Our way of fishing capitalizes on deception. That's we have to hide the hook. And we single out an individual fish. You know, sadly, that's how some people approach evangelism. I knew a man many years ago who had some folks come to his door to share the gospel. Now, I have no problem with that method of evangelism. But after they shared what they had, they kept pressing him, in their words, to pray the sinner's prayer. Now, by the way, I've never found that prayer in my copy of the scripture. But he refused repeatedly to do what they asked. But finally, when he realized they weren't going to leave, he just repeated the words after them. And he told me later, he said, it meant nothing to me. But those folks could go back to their church and report that they had caught a fish. That's not a good example of catching men. And I'm grateful I had the opportunity to apologize to him for that bad experience. Other people deceptively offer Jesus as a panacea for all your troubles. Just come to Jesus and you'll be healthy and wealthy and wise. But Jesus said that following him involves pain and trial and temptation. He said you'll face rejection from those you love, maybe even abuse. Unbelievers will hate you. Why? Because they hate me and they hate my commands. Those are the things Jesus suffered, and he assured you and me as his followers that we will face the same. To give any other message is dishonest. In contrast, fishing with a net, like they did in our text, implies more of a group mentality. You approach the fish in their natural habitat, and you gently gather them into the net. I think there are some interesting concepts here for how we design our evangelistic efforts. It's interesting to me that this commission to catch men appears very near the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And then he echoes the same commission in a little different form just before he ascended to the Father after his resurrection. There he said, Go and make disciples of all peoples. So evidently, fishing for men or making disciples was the primary reason for Jesus' ministry. Some people today believe that evangelism is the main work of the church. I think I understand what they mean, but I don't necessarily agree with them. I think the goal of the Great Commission and the goal of the church is the same. It is to make disciples, not just converts. Statistically, the majority of people who make an initial commitment to Christ never become disciples. I believe that's because, especially in the Western world, we tend to shy away from difficult things, from suffering, from hardship, from self-denial. It's completely countercultural. Jesus said the path of discipleship is narrow, it's hard, and only a few people will stick with it to the end. But I can assure you, and Jesus assures us, that those who do will be amply rewarded. So far on this path of following Jesus, we've looked at the first two steps, the call and the commission. And then the last step that we want to consider on this path to following Jesus is the commitment. The call or the invitation has been given. The commission has been spelled out. In other words, this is what will happen if you accept the call. Simon, Peter, and Andrew, James, and John now were faced with the decision. What would they do? How would they respond? Mark says, 
Immediately they left what they were doing and followed Jesus. Simon Peter and Andrew were working, going about their daily tasks, minding their own business, we might say. But when they followed Jesus, they were leaving behind the security of their occupation, their source of income. They were leaving behind the familiarity of daily routines, and they were setting out on a journey that had an unknown destination. In the case of James and John, they were working with their father and the hired men, mending their nets. These two were leaving behind the same things as Peter and Andrew, but Mark makes an additional point of commitment. He says, James and John were leaving behind relationships with family and business associates to follow, at this point, a largely unknown rabbi. Again, the individualism that pervades our Western mindset sees their decision as no big deal. But it was a big deal. Theirs was a culture where the approval of family and community carried a whole lot more weight than the opinions or wishes of an individual. And so you just don't make snap decisions like that, like they were making. If any of these men were the oldest sons in their families, they knew they had responsibilities to their parents and siblings that were clearly spelled out in the Law of Moses. So this step they were taking was against their cultural norms and it was even against their religious practice. Now Jesus did later teach them that following him was paramount. Some of their previous understandings needed to be changed. Following Jesus would cost them family relationships, it would cost them financial security, and even religious acceptance. These men followed Jesus, and because we have the whole record of the Gospels, we know their initial commitment was tested. We know they didn't understand some of Jesus' choices. We know they were shocked by some of his interactions with people, especially those they considered to be unclean and even the dogs or the Gentiles. We know these men struggled with their own prejudices, their own selfishness, their own desires for prominence. They went from riding the crest of waves of popularity to the depths of rejection and hiding in fear. But through all of those ups and downs, they stuck with Jesus, all of them except Judas. And Jesus remained committed to them. You know, I am so grateful that Jesus is the same today. We're no different than those four men that we've met in our text today, nor the other eight who joined them later. We struggle with our prejudices, our selfishness, our desires for prominence. We sometimes feel like our decision to follow Jesus should give us certain privileges, or perhaps exempt us from certain hardships. But hopefully, through all of the ups and downs, we stick with Jesus. We are assured that Jesus remains committed to us. What a tremendous blessing and encouragement it is to know that he who has begun a good work in us will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. And to know that for those who love God, all things do indeed work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Later, Peter would say to Jesus, See, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus responded, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come 
eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. These are just a few of the many promises in Scripture for those of us who follow Jesus. So where are you on this path to following Jesus? Have you heard the call? His invitation to follow him? If not, I'm offering it to you right now. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. To believe is to follow. It is to make the same choices Jesus would make. Maybe you've already accepted the call and you understand the commission. But maybe life has turned out differently than what you expected and you're somewhat disillusioned with it all. It turned out to be harder than you expected to keep following. And then what about your commitment? Maybe you've picked up some of the things you initially left behind to follow Jesus. You know, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, or maybe unscriptural relationships. You can lay those things down again and follow him with renewed zeal. This has been my experience. You don't need to be perfect. You just need to be committed. To these men, Jesus was pretty much an unknown rabbi. But there was something about him that commanded their attention and their response. You and I have the revelation of Jesus in a much fuller way than they did. So we're more responsible. How are you and I following Jesus?
Yes, God is waiting to pardon all who come to faith in Him, all who accept the call to follow Jesus. I hope what I presented today has informed and encouraged you. If you'd like to review this teaching or share it with someone, you can request a copy. It's available either in print or as a digital audio file. Ask for it by its title, Following Jesus. The easiest way for you to contact us is to use our email address, hope at heraldsofhope.org. That's H-O-P-E at heraldsofhope.org. Or you may call us toll-free at 866-960-0292. Or mail your request to The Voice of Hope, Box 3, Breezewood, Pennsylvania, 15533. And you can also review today's teaching or listen to archived programs by logging onto our website, heraldsofhope.org. That's heraldsofhope.org. To help this ministry financially here at year-end, you can send a check by mail or donate securely online at heraldsofhope.org with your credit or debit card. You can also call our toll-free number, 866 960 0292. God's grace, accompanied by your fervent prayers and your generous financial support, will enable the voice of hope to be on the air until Jesus comes in the air. Now don't forget to join me next week for the voice of hope as we continue our study in the Gospel of Mark. And until we meet again, Angels we have heard on high Sweetly singing o'er the plains And the mountains in reply Echo back their joyous strains Gloria In excelsis Deo Shepherds, why this jubilee? Why your joyous strains prolong? What the gladsome tidings be Which inspire your heavenly song? Gloria in excelsis Deo Gloria in excelsis Deo Come to Bethlehem and see Him whose birth the angels sing Come adore on bended knee Christ the Lord, the newborn King. Gloria in excelsis Deo. Gloria in excelsis Deo. See him in a manger laid. Whom the choirs of angels praise Mary, Joseph, lend your aid 
Yeah.